Welcome to The Clinical Consult, a podcast from the National Register of Health Service Psychologists, examining timely psychological trends and excellence in clinical practice. I'm Dr. Samuel Lustgarten. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. Kate Nooner. Dr. Nooner is a full professor and the graduate coordinator in the Department of Psychology at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington, where she directs the Trauma and Resilience Laboratory. And she serves as the managing editor of the National Register's Journal of Health Service Psychology, which is the focus of our conversation this episode. Kate, thank you so much for being here with us today and welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Sam. Absolutely, yeah. We are so glad to finally be talking with you today about the journal and about your role. Um, I'm hoping to get to both of these topics today and a little bit more about where we're gonna go with this journal, what your aspirations are and where we go from here. You know, the, the journal has become this stalwart bu- publication for the National Register over the last few years. And it, you know, tends to seem to examine translational issues and clinical practice. And this is at the real, the intersection of what health service psychologists do. And it is a publication that we receive as registrants and associates at no cost. And for instance, the August issue, which is out now, covers the psychological care of firefighters, stigma of youth in healthcare settings, um, and the provision of mental health services or changes that have occurred during this time of COVID-19. Really, really important topics for us to be looking at. But before we dig into that broader journal, I wanna know more about you, Kate, and how you came to this role. Tell us a little bit about your background and, and maybe even your research because you know, you're playing a critical role in determining uh, what gets published and what to focus on as issues. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Sam. Um, So I am a licensed clinical psychologist, and I have been a health service provider and a member of the National Register since 2012, so for almost uh, 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as a professor in the psychology department and our department recently started, um, a clinical doctoral program that just got APA approval this past year, which is big hey, congratulations. Thank you. Um, we've always, uh, you know, the value of the national register is something that I've always imparted on my students, just in terms of the tremendous resources for professional development, um, And that certainly ties in, you know, with my clinical research because the National Register always has had this really translational approach. Um, And I have taken a translational approach in my research that looks at ways to decrease substance use, specifically early alcohol use in children with histories of trauma. Um, And I've been fortunate to have some of that research funded by the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. Um, and to work on some multi-site studies related to that. Um, and I also hold a joint appointment um, at the Duke University School of Medicine. So I like wearing a lot of hats. Uh-huh. Um, sounds like it, it sounds like Yes, um, but it was really my passion about translational approaches and really bringing evidence to clinical practice, which I know is a huge mission of the register as well that, uh, you know, kind of made my background well-suited for the managing editor role. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm hearing it. And, you know, as you talk about it, even me too, as I introduced the, the idea of talking about the journal and you today, we both brought up that word translational. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if we can kind of have a shared definition of what that might mean. Yeah, um, I think that's a really good question. And I think the, the, you know, I think there's a bunch of different ways you can think about it, but a way that we think about it, the Journal of Health Service Psychology are, um, you know, research relevant topics that are of direct clinical relevance to health service Mm -hmm. providers. So kind of translating in that way, you know, sometimes translational can mean across disciplines, you know, can mean across a bunch of different things, but this can really mean taking that evidence-based practice or that, you know, even epidemiological research, but having it uh, presented in a way that is of direct clinical relevance, because that's really what we're trying to do at JHSP. Mm-hmm. Got it. Well, thank you for, for clarifying that too. <laughs> Taking uh, what I would imagine are sometimes really, really complex topics and trying to bring it to our population so that we can directly impact those we serve. It, it's a vital part of, of what the journal exists and, and what it stands to do. So I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that. Now, it's my understanding, actually, that this year you became the managing editor for the journal. And I'm really curious, what drew you to this role? You know, I think one of the big things that drew me to the role is my passion for having the latest kind of clinically relevant information out there for practitioners in a way that's really I'm very, very interested in being very user-friendly and yet still accurate and sophisticated. Um, And I think that that's the really important niche that JHSP has and that it's still, you know, a science-based, sophisticated presentation of the information, but it's stuff that you can take out and do directly. We also Mm -hmm. don't have that kind of you know, layer of how do I break this apart and distill it, it's distilled for you. And I just thought this is such an important thing to be doing, you know, related to my academic work where we have our doctoral program related to the research that I do that I really want to be able to impact Mm -hmm. communities that this just kind of perfectly bridges that. You know, I I have a a bit of a a nerdy academic question for you, Ben, Kate. Yes. One of the things I've also noticed in this, this last couple of years, as as you then took on this managing editor role, is that it also became, I think, a a Springer journal. And I'm curious, like, how does that or how has that changed the publication process or um, how we should see this journal? Absolutely. So we are a part of Division of Springer Nature, which is absolutely wonderful. Um, one thing that that helps with is we are indexed on a bunch of different search engines that you go to. So if you're, uh-huh. you know, through the library and stuff, and that just helps with the journal's reach. Um, and, uh, you know, under my time as managing editor, we've also, uh, you know, kind of are working on expanding that. For example, we have an application in now to psych info, um, that would be, you know, just, but just being part of Springer already extended things to a bunch of search engines. And that just really helps in in building our mission. Um, I would like to give, uh, you know, also wonderful shout out to our associate editors, um, Damian Grasso, Abby Hughes, 
Kamini Krishnan, Melissa Santos, and Eva Woodward, um, who are, you know, professionals in academic settings across the nation, you know, from Connecticut to Arkansas, we kind of are, you know, spanning all over the place. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, we also are building a team of consulting editors. um, And these are things that, um, you know, have have been part of of the journal, but were kind of codified more with Springer. Mm-hmm. Um, the other great thing about Springer that we're really passionate about is just having the highest ethical standards. Um, Springer understandably has all of that codified. So it's you know nice when you don't have to reinvent the wheel and it's there for you. Um, so we follow all of those practices. Um, and it's just really been a nice relationship um, also in terms of the peer review process. Mm-hmm. Well, that actually makes me wonder about, you know, both ethics and the peer review process. Mm-hmm. How are those changing? It, it, has it become more difficult to become published in the journal or is it more rigorous? How would you describe that? Yeah. So I think that all of these things are just huge positives. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in terms of our peer review process, which we've always had, um, And um, each article is uh, reviewed by two independent reviewers who are not associated with the article in any way. Um, They give their feedback to me. um, And then I, you know, work with Morgan and then we give, or I I generally give feedback back to the author. Um, And as part of that, you know, we're looking at incorporating, in addition to Springer's guidelines, APA's guidelines in terms of using bias-free language. That's something we have a strong commitment to. Um, I think also as part of this process, just making sure, you know, we have a strong commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion. I know we might get that a little bit more later, but it doesn't hurt to mention it now Um, in terms of making sure. So when you mentioned, is it more difficult? I think it's actually, we are broadening our scope in terms of related to diversity, equity, inclusion going out and trying to really get just as broad a range as possible of submissions, also making sure that our reviewers are from diverse backgrounds um, and really making the commitment. And this is something that Morgan um, is very passionate about, that every issue has at least one article that has a strong diversity, um, equity and inclusion component to it. Wow, that's terrific. That's terrific. You know, I, I want to ask a, a couple questions about that publication process and what it looks like as you're talking about it. You know, as as health service psychologists, we might provide services in hospitals, outpatient mental health clinics, VAs, private practice, consult for organizations and other third parties, and much, much more. I mean, the, the psychologist and the health service psychologist title and credential is a broad one, you know, and our breadth of practice is, is, Um, part of what makes our training so unique. And, you know, like the the Clinical Consult podcast, I see the the Journal of Health Service Psychology as a home for us all, us all in that big tent, in that big umbrella of of different things that we're active and engaged in. And so it seems like nearly every journal issue covers a range of topics. How do we narrow it down? And how does this fit into the mission for the journal itself? I think that's a great question. Um, I will say that as part of the peer review process, kind of a pre-step is that Morgan and I kind of review every article at first for completeness and just kind of overall fit 
One thing that I did as managing editor, because I really value transparency to make things more transparent, um, and Morgan was in complete support of this, was to have an updated information for authors page, which is on our JHSP uh, website, both with Springer and with the National Register that I'm sure we can link to in the show notes. And it has really clear guidelines for the components we're looking for. Um, and one thing that's special about JHSP also is it's not the typical kind of four-part journal article of like the introduction methods, results, right. and discussion. Those are great. However, this is filling, filling a niche for clinicians. Um, and so, you know, when articles are submitted, they really need to kind of generally fit in with that to then kind of move on. And so if they, to, in our peer review process, if they don't, that's totally okay. We'll send it back to the person and say mm -hmm. either this topic isn't a fit at all because it's not clinical or right. here are guidelines, please, please right. revise it. Um, but the goal of that is to try to make it so that, that we, we get as many submissions as possible. And then in terms of looking at what are we going to have in a particular issue, I mentioned, we always want to have at least one BIPOC piece. And then we are trying to look at different, you know, uh, different topics that are going to relate to our various health service providers. So something that might be more related to medical settings, something that might be more related to children, something that might be more related to trauma and things like that. Um, we don't have a specific formula for it. There aren't bins sure. or anything like that. Um, we do just try to make sure that we're kind of covering a range in, mm -hmm. in each of our issues. Mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, someone knows that if they pick it up, that there'll likely be something that's useful to them. I, I love that, Kate. I, I love that idea that, you know, in every issue, there's going to be something that might appeal to our really, really broad membership. Um, I, I love that idea. You know, I'm, I'm also curious as we talk about, you know, people picking up the journal, I'm also thinking about the other end of it and people submitting those, those journal ideas and articles to you for review. And I'm wondering, are associates or, or students that are in trainee programs, are they able to submit for the journal as well? Does the process look any different for them? That's an excellent question. Um, we welcome submissions from trainees. They would need to collaborate with um, kind of an established professional in their field. Um, so for example, just to, and this isn't the only option, I'm just using this as a general sure. example. If it was a clinical doctoral student in a PhD program, um, then asking their, uh, you know, PhD level mentor or their PhD level clinical supervisor to be a co-author with them um, would be appropriate. And, you know, you can see how that would apply to other allied disciplines. Right, right. And I would imagine that that also impacts the development of continuing education potentially and other aspects that are a part of the journal. Correct. You know, speaking of, before we jumped in today, Kate, we were actually talking about that very topic of, you know, continuing education. And I don't know if all of our listeners will know about that, that part of the journal. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, how the National Register works with the journal to, to create continuing education or, or what that looks like? Absolutely. And I think that's one of the aspects of it that's also really unique is that as you are reading these articles, which are going to be useful to your direct clinical practice that you're in as a health service provider, 
Um, all registrants can then hop on to the nationalregister.org uh, website and there's you know, beautifully written CE questions that they can answer. And I'll be honest and say, I do this for a lot of my CEs uh-huh, and it's uh-huh. straightforward. It also just kind of helps things click a little bit, you know, when you go through the questions, um, you know, cause when you're reading an article and then when you're going through the questions, it just helps you think a little more deeply about things. And, um, and then you can just knock off those CE credits from, you know, the, wherever it works for you. And also, you know, have read that article. So I think it's just a huge added advantage. Um, yeah. And we do have CE, CEs available for every article that appears in the journal, um, except for the that's editorial, terrific. but I mean, that's silly. So, yeah. Right, right, right. Well, and there are what, five articles per journal? Is that the general rule? Correct. That the generally there are, are five uh, articles per journal plus uh, Morgan's editorial. Yes. So, so listeners, if we're hearing Kate here, that's five continuing education credits that are just built in to picking up that journal and reading it. Five education credits. And if you're a registrant, that's included in your, your membership. Correct. There's no cost to those. If you're a resident, you just log on and get them. And it's, it's terrific. And like I said, I, it's, it's one of those, like, I'm not just here. I'm also a member, which is true, but you know, I, I, that's a, a significant way I get CE credits myself. Yeah, yeah. And as a, as a uh, recent uh, license holder, uh, as an early career psychologist myself, I've, I've been very, very thankful to be able to take advantage of the continuing education, education credits that are present from the journal, but also from the videos and the many trainings and webinars that are present on the National Register's website. So absolutely. I'm glad we got an opportunity to highlight that too. I want to talk a little bit more about the the future of the journal too, uh, where we go from here, because I'm guessing you've got some hopes and aspirations and I'm, I'm kind of curious what you're seeing for the journal going forward. I mean, you know, my, one of my goals for the journal is just to really continue to be that early career through senior psychologist or health service provider resource. Um, And, you know, the main way to do that is that acknowledging that the field is, is always changing. And so really making sure that we are seeking out submissions that are reflective of that, both related to, you know, the diversity, equity, and inclusion um, topics that I've mentioned, but are really, really salient, Um, but also related to, for example, in our current issue, um, our fall issue that's about to come out, it's available online with Springer, and it will be available um, through the register shortly. Um, We have some pretty new topics. Um, For example, we have a topic on um, gender, using gender affirming language um, with transgender clients, you know, something that is very important and very relevant, um, but is an example of how, you know, the field is changing and we have new parts of it all the time. We also have an article on what we're calling twice exceptional children, which is not a diagnosis at this time, but it is something that's salient to so many families related to children who may be, um, academically gifted in certain areas but have a learning disability or on the autism spectrum in other areas. And that identifying and assessing and then providing the right fit of both academic 
and mental health care is very challenging. And that's also a topic that, again, you went back a little ways and you didn't uh, cover. And I think another area that I'm also passionate about is just that such a large percentage of our uh, population is aging and what that's going to look like and the impacts of that are going to be, you know, things that we really want to be on the front end of. Um, because the mental health impacts are going to be profound. And we have something in our issue related to that as well, which has to do with assessing for Alzheimer's disease in mm -hmm. bilingual Spanish English speaking individuals, um, which I think as you know, our population grows and changes and ages will also be something that is of relevance. Wow. You know, there's such a breadth there. And I think it's a perfect example of what we were talking about earlier and what you were stressing is that you're trying to, to create a, a journal that appeals to all sorts of different folks that are in our community. One of the things that I'm always thinking about, especially given our, our conversation about continuing education credits as well, is what it means to, to develop clinical competence once you are a registrant, once you are licensed, you know, what does that mean to develop clinical competence at that point in your career? As an early career psychologist, I'm cognizant that there's a lot of learning that I'm still doing. And, and when I think about that, that title of the journal article you referenced, like, you know, gender affirming care for trans clients, I'm thinking about, well, if I read that one article, I'm kind of assuming I'm not going to have like total expertise at that point to be able to, to serve that population. And yet at the same point, I'm curious how we see the, the development of clinical competence and, and maybe the role that the journal has to play in that. Yeah, that's an excellent question and something as health service providers we should always be thinking about. Um, I see the journal as really a launching pad for that. Um, you know, our articles are structured in a way so that you can get some of the essential components, some of those critical components um, for maybe identifying what the, what the fundamental competencies are. It will have one thing that's nice about our articles, I think, is that they really uh, seek to have the critical references that are going to help clinicians, Right. They're not necessarily having, you know, esoteric things that are not going to be applicable. It really focuses on having references that are applicable. And then, as you said, these are just going to identify kind of essential components, fundamental competencies as a launching pad for then you can go out and seek additional training, work, whatever supervision, whatever might be appropriate in that area. Um, but my hope would be that the article would be uh, an ideal launching pad for that and a place where you could kind of get that, that kind of current uh, first step in terms of seeing what those essential components are. Right, right. I love that idea of a, of a launching pad because there's so many times, and you probably can resonate with this, Kate, but there's so many times where I thought, gosh, the most I ever knew about psychology was in my psychology 101 course, or at least that's what I thought. I thought I knew everything. I had those bolded terms memorized, but, but over time I felt like, wow, I know less and less as I know more and more. And I, at, at this point in my career and development, I'm also thinking, wow, like there are some things I just don't know that I don't know. And having a launching pad like you describe can be such a helpful resource for me saying, okay, I need to do some homework now. 
this is really eye-opening. So I really love that idea, Kate, that, that the journal can serve as a almost a, an awareness builder too for us taking a peek at these topics. Absolutely. And that's another reason why we like to have a range of topics in every issue, why we don't mm-hmm. aim for special issues, because not only do we want to have something that appeals, but we also want to have something that may intrigue, inspire, be something completely new uh, to one of our reg- registrants. Um, and I think by having a whole range of articles, um, that that is certainly possible. Great. Well, Kate, I have thoroughly enjoyed our time today and the opportunity to really highlight the good work that you're doing for the Journal of Health Service Psychology. It is such an important resource, one that I turn to every issue that comes out. I love reading it. I love the opportunity to to dig into some topics like we were mentioning that maybe I didn't even think about. Maybe I didn't even know that this was something to think about. You know, I was just reading that article about firefighters and I'll, I'll talk about the fact that you know, we also did an episode with Anka as well, but that that uh, article about firefighters was so eye-opening to me as an example. Like, I never even thought about what firefighters go through on a psychological level and what the treatment process might look like. Now, I've only ever thought about, well, first responders as a big umbrella, but wow, we've got this unique population too. And, and it was so eye-opening for me. I need to do my research here. I need, I need to do more digging. So Kate, thank you so much for sharing your expertise, your time with us today, and a little bit of insight about where we might see this journal going in the future. Thanks, Sam. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And listeners, you might have seen the August 2021 issue of JHSP in your mailbox already. However, I had an amazing conversation with Dr. Anka Vujanovic, and we talked a little bit more about this this subject of, of you know, treating and working with firefighters and building community in our communities in our previous podcast episode. I highly encourage you to have a listen wherever you subscribe. I'm Dr. Samuel Lestgarten, and this has been The Clinical Consult, a podcast from the National Register of Health Service Psychologists. As a reminder, all episodes provide general information for discussion purposes only and don't serve as formal clinical advice or continuing education. Thank you.